We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from Wild Turkey Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. Let's tune in to their one-on-one with Jamal, a real bartender from Old Fourth Ward in Atlanta. I really get into the backstory of whatever I'm pouring. Out of respect. There are literally years of experience behind these bottles. Wild Turkey, same recipe since 1942. If you want a true classic, this is what you want to order. Wild Turkey. Wild Turkey Distilling Company, Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. Copyright 2020, Campari, American, New York, New York. Never compromise, drink responsibly. Most Tuesdays are just Tuesdays, except at Buffalo Wild Wings, where Tuesdays are Wing Tuesdays. But now even Wing Tuesdays aren't just Wing Tuesdays because Wing Tuesdays are half-price Wing Tuesdays, which means your boring Tuesday that became Wing Tuesday now costs you half as much. In case you're confused, we have half-price Wing Tuesdays. We do it for you. Buffalo Wild Wings. Wings, beer, sports. Prices and participation vary. See participating locations for details. Void or prohibited. Welcome into a preseason edition of the Rotowire NBA podcast. It is Wednesday, October 5th. Uh, as we record this, the Oklahoma City Thunder are just about to tip off against, what is it, FC Barcelona, I think, this afternoon as they complete uh, their two game uh, Spain trip. And I think they get a week off after that. Uh, Nick Whalen here with DJ Trainer. Um, so, this starting, I guess, at the beginning of this week, we're going to be doing four podcasts per week. You and I will be on on Mondays. Uh, myself and James Anderson will be on Thursdays. You, Shannon McEwen, and the great Ken Kreitz will be on Fridays. And then what we're going to try to do and what we will do, at least for the short term, is on either Tuesday or Wednesday for our fourth podcast, 
Um, it'll be one or both of us and a guest. So we're going to have Kale Chenard, who writes for Hawks.com. He's the official team writer. Uh, we're going to have him on, talk with him tomorrow. We'll get that up uh, early next week. So keep looking out for those podcasts as we try to diversify a little bit this season. For this podcast, we're going to talk um, about last night's preseason action, talk a little bit about the preseason in general. Uh, obviously, Warriors Clippers is what kind of stole the headlines last night, but there's a lot going on in the league. Uh, and then we're going to go into some of our bold predictions for the NBA season, uh, some more bold than others. Uh, I also plan on making a few predictions on the fly, so wow. watch out, DJ. All right. It's going to be a high-octane podcast. Um, but we'll start with the late game last night, a nationally televised preseason game which for basketball fans and baseball fans, if there's a crossover there, which there often is, I didn't get to watch <clears throat> Excuse me, most of the first half of this game because Toronto and Baltimore in the AL wildcard game went into the 12th inning. But as soon as that was over, flipped over to Warriors-Clippers. And it was, I think, a couple minutes before the half when I finally got over to it. And the Warriors were up, I believe, like 42. It's 71-33 to was the halftime score of this game. It was 102-51 after three quarters. Um, the reactions as they tend to be, um, you know, being on Twitter during this game varied from this doesn't mean anything to the Warriors are going 82 and 0. I I don't know how much of this game you were able to catch, but how much stock are you putting into this result? Because a lot of people think the Clippers are maybe the second or for sure the third most talented team in the West. I definitely agree that yes, they're probably the third right after the Spurs. Uh, I don't put much stock into this game whatsoever. I mean, NBA players and NBA teams kind of play it cool during the regular season, so I would expect way more of the same during the preseason. Now, I mean, they sorry to interrupt you right away. They do, but it can go both ways, right? Like, were the Warriors going really hard and the Clippers weren't trying? Well, here's the thing. The Clippers have, what, three or four years with these same cast of characters. They know each other. They know each other's games. The Warriors are still kind of, like, playing with new toys. They're excited to try each other out, to try some things. And, you know, they were kind of goofing off a little bit with some of the passes I don't necessarily expect them to make maybe during the regular season. I could be wrong. I guess they did show some flash last season as well. But, you know, I don't put much stock into this at all because, oh, yeah, they lost to the Raptors. We didn't break down that game and say they were going 0-82, did we? You can't choose one game over another in the preseason and say it means a whole lot. So what if the Raptors legitimately did lose to the Warriors? I mean, it's just it's too much of a rabbit hole for me to get go under. Um, Unfortunately, I only cost caught the last 10 minutes of this game um, when, you know, JaVale McGee's rat tail was in full effect. Uh, Got to see McCaw out there. Did not realize he was such a scrawny human being. But, you know, we're not going to see him much during the regular season. We just aren't. But I think we might, man. I I don't know. There's not a ton of depth in the backcourt. You know, outside you get Livingston and Iguodala, obviously, and Iguodala plays a lot of three. Uh, but after that, you know, it's McCaw, it's Phil Pressy, Ian Clark is back. Yeah, I, I think I think Clark and McCaw is kind of the battle to watch there. I mean, he's going to have a role. It's not going to be huge, but I think out of necessity, if you know, especially if there's foul trouble or if they run into any injury trouble. He's going to be in a bigger role than he than he might have thought he would be around the time of the draft. So yeah, I don't really want to spend too much more time on this, but I'll just say reiterate one more time: I don't put much stock in this at all. I don't think really anybody should. They're just they they want to try each other out, and that's what they did last night. Obviously, it's flashy. We're going to talk about them in some of our bold predictions. Um, it was fun to watch, a taste, but again, I'm not saying that the Clippers are that much worse than the Warriors. I just don't believe it. Yeah, I mean, it is a preseason game. Uh, the Clippers played their starters. Obviously, the Warriors played their starters. I think if there is something to take away from this, it's that the transition, you know, incorporating Durant into this offense is kind of what we expected it would be. You know, 
<clears throat> excuse me, pretty easy, uh, I guess, just because Durant is such a good shooter. And, you know, over and over we've compared this to the 2010 Heat, which, you know, at that point in their career, LeBron, you know, was, was a, a getting better as a three-point shooter. He didn't really, you know, peak for another two or three years. Um, but, but just the ability of Durant to, you know, fit right in here, not have to handle the ball in every possession. When you bring LeBron James onto a team, he's got to handle the ball to be at his peak. Durant, you can kind of just use him as an off-the-ball catch-and-shoot guy, and, and obviously he's much more skilled than that and, and has, has the creating ability and the playmaking ability. But, um, I mean, just looking at the box score, like this is, this is kind of the ideal scenario. Klay Thompson doesn't have an assist in this game. He has one rebound, but he hits six threes in 21 minutes. You know, Draymond Green, nine rebounds, five assists. Kevin Durant, seven rebounds, seven assists, 21 points. Steph Curry, 14 points, five assists, three steals, three rebounds. Like, they can all play together. They can all fill the stat sheet, and I think that's why uh, you know all these guys. If you're talking fantasy, are still pretty relevant. Hold that thought. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about what you just said, but after we light these mics on fire and give out our bold predictions, that's when I'll really get into what you just talked about. So yes, they did st- fill the stat sheet across the board, but uh, hold that thought until later in the pod. Okay, it's a nice little tease there. Uh, we'll move on from that game. Uh, the other big storyline Tuesday night, Joel Embiid making his professional debut more than two years uh, after being drafted. He looked good. Um, only limited to 13 minutes, uh, which, which was expected. He played a few stints of about four minutes. That's going to be the case uh, in the Sixers' next preseason game on Thursday as well. And, you know, I don't think anybody's worried about uh, the, the Sixers bringing him along slowly with, with all that's happened injury-wise, but two baskets in this game. One of them, he backed down Cody Zeller, hit a, a nice fadeaway, looked really smooth doing that, and, and hit down a knockdown, I should say, a long two that I think, I don't know if he thought it was a three. Like It was just a catch-and-shoot two, but his feet were firmly on the line. Obviously not a good shot, but drain that, looked, again, looked very smooth. So, you know, you got a guy who's 7-2 that can work inside and out like that. I don't think they're going to use Embiid you know, necessarily to space the floor, but just having that ability to draw defenders out there, and we've seen him, you know, be able to get to the basket as well. Not a great ball handler, but for a seven-two center, he's an above-average ball handler uh, given that size. Also had four rebounds in two blocks. So, um, you know, no insane highlight plays. You know, I don't know what what we're necessarily expecting from Embiid. He did block uh, a dunk attempt by Jalen Brown at the rim. That was probably the highlight of the night for him, but. If you're a Sixers fan, if you're an NBA fan, if you're a Kansas fan, uh, this is about as as well as it could have gone, I think. Yeah, definitely. He did stumble later in his in the latter portion of his 13 minutes of the games, and uh, the arena kind of collectively held their breath. He came up walking a little bit gingerly, and I think you know what you do when you hold somebody out that long is you just mess with their psyche and you mess with fan psyche. Every time he stumbles, every time he trips, every time he falls, not only is the arena and everybody watching just thinking, "Oh, fearing the worst." But that's in his head too. When, when you, I mean, when you patty cake a guy for long enough, it's going to be put in his head. I cannot get hurt. I cannot get hurt, and that just changes the way he moves on the court. Now I know it's only been 13 minutes, but uh, I, I mean, I liked what I saw. But I, I just think that we're all going to be walking on pins and needles and eggshells um, with him, and I don't think that's necessarily the mindset you should have when you enter your NBA career. That said, no I like choice, it. Though is there? I mean, when you're out for two years, like that just comes with the territory. Like, I mean, how do you not? Yeah, I mean, 
I, I, well, I mean, let's look at Ben Simmons right now. He's expected to miss three months. There's some chatter that maybe his group or his, you know, his team wants him to sit out longer. If you make him sit out longer and prolong this, you know, injury stint, then that's only putting in your head, you know what, you know, like I am very concerned with injuries over the course of my career, all this stuff. I just don't think it's a good tone to set at the start of your career. I mean, it goes without saying, but from a mental aspect, I think, you know, the longer you hold guys out, the worse it is mentally. Um, even when you could rush them back and maybe, you know, they get over. I don't know. I don't know. I, I've never been, I'm not an NBA player, full disclosure. I don't know if that's been made clear on this podcast. Um, but I, it's just, I don't know what else they were supposed to do. You know, I think, you know, Embiid didn't choose to get hurt. The Sixers didn't choose for him to be hurt. I, I think this is kind of the only way to handle it. Um, Simmons is a different situation, obviously, with, with his management team kind of being in his ear there. Uh, but Jalil Okafor did not play in this game uh, for Philadelphia. He continues to work back. Uh, Nerlens Noel came off the bench. I, I guess that's going to kind of continue to be the case for now. Dario Saric starting at power forward. Uh, they need that spacing, you know, I guess at the power forward spot with Ben Simmons out, kind of a, I think he probably would have played just about any position for them, you know, one through four. Um, so, you know, I, I think right now this is probably a preview, you know, of that starting front court, at least in Embiid, Saric, and Covington. But, you know, even when the regular season rolls around and Bede's going to be on a minute's limit, he might sit out some back-to-backs. Um, so there's going to be opportunities. Yeah, I don't, I don't want to get too much into these starting fives. Like, I know they seem like the starting fives, but I'm just not convinced that, you know, every team start, starting five of their second game in the preseason or first game is going to actually end up being. So I, I don't really want to read too much into that. What I do want to read into is Ryan Anderson hitting seven threes last night for Houston. I think this guy is going to have so much opportunity in a Mike D'Antoni offense led by James Harden. I mean, you just have to collapse on Harden when he goes to the hole and that's just going to open up some you know free room for Ryan Anderson to be just draining threes all day long I I feel comfortable reading into him attempting 13 three-pointers in this game I think that's something that he could be doing all season long he played 29 minutes I think this is the type of opportunity he's going to get so while I'm willing to pick and choose in the preseason this is something I'm going to pick up and say this is what we can expect him from him during the regular season would you agree with that yeah of course I, I think there's not a lot of depth on this Houston roster especially in the front court um so yeah I think if Ryan Anderson stays healthy he's he's kind of a dark horse I think to to creep up into that maybe top five in the league and made threes or um you know certainly in three-point attempts I mean this is a guy that's always been a volume three-point shooter going all the way back to college and um, you know, I don't know if there's a, a better design system for him to flourish in. You know, not a guy who's great on defense. He's a good rebounder for his position. Great, you know, good size for the stretch four. You know, you're not necessarily giving up a ton there. Um, so, you know, as long as he stays healthy, if he can give them 75, 80 games, I really, really like Ryan Anderson. 26 points in 29 minutes. Uh, we saw Vintage Harden in this one played 30 minutes, which is you know, kind of a lot for a, a player of his, of his caliber in the preseason, but 28, 11, and 6, did have five turnovers, but kind of a preview, I think, of, of what we're going to see from him uh, basically acting as a point guard because Patrick Beverly did not play in this game. Yeah, definitely. I, I'm, I'm hoping and expecting Eric Gordon to come off the bench and Beverly will start in his place. I think that's what we're headed towards because yeah. I like Gordon coming off the bench. I said it a couple weeks ago, Gordon being a six man, you know, he finally has the opportunity to live up to expectations. We've been putting too much on him. He gets hurt. He can't fulfill a full full season. But him coming off the bench, just adding a scoring presence is right about the responsibility he needs on a team. And in this offense, I think he really could excel and could definitely get some 
votes by the end of the year if he stays healthy and not even fully healthy but like 65 to 70 games a year six man of the year award I think that's entirely possible for somebody of his ilk who can score at will I mean we've had guys like Lou Williams win it in the past and I think Eric Gordon is all the bit as much of a scorer as Lou Williams is yeah, I think Eric Gordon's a better player. I think no one's really disputing that. It's just, you know, the health issues are to the point now where a full season for Eric Gordon is like 60 games. Yeah. So I mean, maybe maybe coming off the bench, maybe the reduced workload helps him. They, they always seem to be like freak injuries for him, though. You know, it's not like it's this, he's injuring the same knee over and over. It's his wrist, and then it's his shoulder, and then it's his ankle. Like, you know, that, that's, I think he's just, you know, you don't like to throw out the injury-prone label, but we're deep enough into the career now that it's it's obvious. Uh, Porzingis looked really good for the Knicks in this one, and 130 to 103 was the score, if that matters to anybody. But off night for Carmelo Anthony, that, that, that allowed Porzingis to take on a little bit of a bigger role, 22 points, only four rebounds, uh, two blocks, made five threes in this game. Um, you know, didn't, uh, Joe Kim Noah didn't play in this game either for New York, so got to see Porzingis kind of act as the center. I mean, he's got a good, what, six inches basically on Kyle O'Quinn who started at power forward. Yeah, that's fair. I, you know, normally I look at rookies coming into the league and, and you say first year they get their feet wet, second year it's it's still kind of getting your feet wet. Maybe the latter quarter of the season they really turn things on. And then that third season is where you see that big jump. And it, the third season really is a make-or-break season for a lot of young players in the league. I think players like Carl Anthony Towns and like Porzingis, you can throw that philosophy philosophy out the window if if Porzingis comes out and has just an amazing season and he legitimizes himself as one of the better power forwards in this league I wouldn't be surprised so so somebody like a Justice Winslow uh like Jimmy Butler fell in that track where he had a couple years of down in terms of statistically speaking uh Kawhi Leonard uh maybe Kyle Anderson is on on that track and so it's almost like a not a red shirt year but it takes a while for them to get ingratiated in the team in the NBA throw that out the window with Porzingis I think he's just as good statistically as any power forward in this league and he could even show it right away game one of this season only a second year in the league his health kind of I think that the season or the strain of the NBA season kind of wore on him in the second half last he admitted that too yeah he wasn't he wasn't as good I think as the hype you know made it seem and he he was very good for a rookie, Wait, what, but he, what I mean, hype? he wasn't towns you know i mean it wasn't he wasn't close to towns i know he wasn't towns but he still far exceeded right. i mean he got booed on draft day a lot of people get booed on draft day i don't i mean i, I don't know how that factors in necessarily but pacers pels we'll touch on this one real quick only thing i really wanted to point out buddy healed did come off the bench uh in this game uh so I'm trying to who did they even start in the back each one more tim frazier I, mean, I think it's, it's only a matter of time honestly until buddy Heal i don't know why you wouldn't is in the starting lineup for this team and maybe maybe it'll be right away we'll see you know like you said these preseason lineups can be pretty volatile but 18 points for healed off the bench two of five from three um if this pels team is going to be anything better than a bottom feeder in the west as weird and strange as it sounds they're going to need a lot from buddy healed <laughs> good luck with that yeah I, well, I mean he's a an experienced college player it's not like you're bringing in a guy who's you know yeah super raw his skills i you, know, you would think at least would translate to the nba um well here here nick i i, I put him on that three-year track so i'll i will really start to judge him harshly in that third year after he's had a couple years under his feet he gets things down he gets defensive schemes down that kind all of time, that though that's the problem Oh, yeah, I know. Well, this Pelicans team is in, is in disarray. For fault. Yeah, it's not his fault. I'm not going to judge him harshly. Like I said, I'm going to put him on that three-year track and, and kind of wait towards that three-year uh, or third year before I really say, you know, what type of player is he going to be in the NBA? 
We'll see. I mean, I think if he can put together a, a Devin Booker like rookie year, which isn't totally out of the question, um, you know, I think I think Booker probably showed. You know, going into the draft last year, if you you know draft day, you're comparing Buddy Heald this past June to Devin Booker uh, in you know two drafts ago. I think you'd say Heald is you know undoubtedly the better player. Obviously, Booker turned out to be really really good as a rookie. Um, but I, I think he'll, you know, being 22 years old, he's going to be 23, you know, for a month into the season, basically. Um, I, I think he's going to see enough, enough minutes, enough of a role in this offense that it's, it's not out of the question that he replicates a Booker like season. And, and maybe we view him differently at that point. Well, that's interesting because Heald is going to get the, as many minutes really as he can handle right out of the gates. Whereas Booker was first quarter of last season, he was, you know, slowly brought into right. the offense and then, you know, the last half or starting basically in January for Booker is when he was able to get a ton of minutes. So I do wonder sometimes if maybe if it's better for your overall progression to get a few minutes starting off and then give get more minutes. I don't know if getting a ton of minutes right away is the best way to progress your NBA we've career. We've seen it work both ways, honestly. You know, I suppose, seen, yeah. You know, you said Kawhi is a good example. Jimmy Butler is a good example of guys who... You know, maybe they were ready, but the the team wasn't ready for them to be playing, or the team was basically too good for them to have to play thirty minutes a night. So, you know, we've seen it work out like that. We've also seen it, you know, work out where you just throw a rookie into the fray right away, and they're they're just really good. Um, but this Pelicans team might not have the luxury of choosing. I mean, Tyreek Evans not going to be back till probably December. You know, Etwan Moore, a nice piece. I, I don't, I like Etwan Moore. I think he's a good rotational player, but. If you're in the developmental phase that this New Orleans franchise is in, I don't know how you necessarily justify playing a guy like Etwan Moore big minutes over your you know lottery pick who plays the same position. So it's going to be an interesting year for the Pelicans. You know, James and I we like to apologize to Anthony Davis on every podcast because. He doesn't deserve this. Yeah, and yeah, and I'm and I'm on the opposite end of the spectrum because I'm throwing it right at him. So w- one one player I want to touch on that goes the other way, where maybe he got too many minutes right from the start, and then he got pegged as a certain type of player, like a mistake prone player, somebody like a Trey Burke. In his rookie season, don't for you, you dare defend Trey Burke. No, no, no. I'm not defend. Well, here, let me give my argument here. He played 70 games his rookie season for Utah, and he averaged 32 minutes a game. I mean, that's a lot of time to watch him play. He's just a, he was a young rookie. Um, I think that players get pegged too often where if he would have slowly been brought into a system, maybe his career would be projecting upwards instead of now where it's going down. Now he's a backup guy in Washington. Last year for Utah, the same Utah team, he only averaged 21 points. And so I think, you know, minutes, or minutes yeah. per game, sorry. So, so I think maybe him seeing too many minutes right out of the gates, he got pegged as a certain type of player. So and basically never, he got exposed because he, he wasn't got, ready. He got exposed and, and then that's, out of that. and then, and that was his calling card, unfortunately, for better or worse. Yeah. And that's what everybody viewed him as. Um, but, you know, I, so that's one way of it going the opposite, you know, the opposite direction sure. in terms I mean, of seeing too many minutes. Might just not be good. There's that too. But, but no, sir, there, there, I mean, it can go both ways. I do agree with that, that, you know, if you're, especially if you're on a bad team. What about like, so let's compare it to Buddy, like shooting guard. So Nick Stauskas is somebody, Jimmer yeah. Fredette. But like those guys are still bad. And so is Burke. Right, but were they given too many minutes right out of the gate? They couldn't get their shot <laughs> no, to I fall. Think it was and just like, all right, this guy definitely is bad. We played him enough. He's bad. Let's get rid <laughs> all right, of him. fair enough. We can move on. Or if you want to keep going, <laughs> yeah. Um, Cavs magic tonight. Uh, no Kyrie. Um, I'm probably not going to be watching a ton of this game, but I do kind of want to see how this Cavs point guard situation shakes out. Um, I read an article last night. I forget where it was, and unfortunately, I can't attribute it. Uh, that that said, the Cavs might have the worst defensive. Uh, point guard rotation in the league 
And, you know, at first you kind of balk at that, but, you know, Delhi gave them a lot during the regular season, at least, didn't play a lot during the finals. So, you know, if you watch the Cavs in the finals, your lasting impression of Delhi is, you know, he came in and played like six minutes in a couple games because he's just not playable and Kyrie was playing well enough and playing so many minutes uh, against the Warriors that they didn't really need him. But throughout the regular season, throughout the first few rounds of the postseason, Delhi was, you know, is and was one of their better players. perimeter defenders now J.R. Smith a a good defender I don't think he gets enough credit for how how effective he can be when locked in he's not on this team quite yet I think the expectation is still that he's going to join the Cavs at some point but you know we don't know what kind of shape he's been keeping himself in and you know how that situation is going to play out Shumpert offensively was so bad near the end of last season that he was almost unplayable for more than a few minutes at a time in the postseason and you know they draft Kay Felder who's explosive offensively but he's you know 5'8 5'9 a guy you really can't ask to go and defend some of the bigger point guards in this league so you know it's a valid point I I don't know if I'm ready to say the Cavs are just going to be a disaster at that position defensively but unless Kyrie Irving improves uh it is going to be a little bit of an issue so no Kyrie in this game uh Wednesday night against the Magic and I think it'll be interesting to see you know who who kind of fills in there and for now they're going with DeAndre Liggins as the starter uh, a guy who played mostly at shooting guard and small forward in college, but he, he was recruited as a point guard to Kentucky for whatever that's worth. Yeah, fair enough. So I agree that I think the Cavs could have one of the worst, or you know, just generally not a good backcourt defense, and that makes sense. Uh, Kay Felder is a really good offensive player, not good on defense whatsoever. Iman Shumpert, essentially, he's going to have to play a lot of minutes because he's going to have to take the better shooting guard or the better pointing guard, the better offensive, that is, of the opposing team. Now, here's the thing. When you face a team like Toronto with Kyle Lowry and DeMar DeRozan, this team is going to be in trouble. And now I think that, you know, both of those guys can go off, but the Cavs are so good that they can match the efforts of them getting outworked on the other end. So I'm not worried from a team perspective in terms of targeting players day to day, lineup questions, DFS, I will be targeting guards going up against Cleveland they could go off for big big games but that doesn't necessarily mean that Cleveland's going to lose so yes there's an opening there's a weak spot but again they're just they're just too strong elsewhere for me to be overly concerned about the Cavaliers as a team yeah I think they could take a step back defensively I mean we'll see uh, but there is also something to be said about continuity you know for the first time in a couple of years you know they're not they're not just going to be wheeling and dealing and mixing and matching these parts trying to find the right combination you know this is in some ways kind of an aging roster, especially on the bench with guys like um, you know, Richard Jefferson and Channing Fry, who had to play big roles uh, down the stretch. But you know, you're bringing back the core of a team that just won a title over a very, very good team, and I think I think it's kind of easy to forget that. But you do wonder if the Cavs will make a move at some point, especially if the JR situation doesn't resolve itself. They're not super deep, uh, and like we said, the, the defensive issues at point guard. Uh, could be something maybe this is just me being wishful and hoping that they pry mcw away from the bucks yeah or maybe boston marcus smart avery bradley um you know if they really really do like somebody like jalen brown and he proves that he's a lot of worth they they have a lot of boston has a lot of depth at shooting guard where maybe they could i mean they're i don't know who would the Cavs give up you know that's that's the the problem problem, right it's like yeah, yeah. Uh, everybody wants Avery Bradley. Everybody wants Marcus Smart. But the Cavs, I mean, you're not trading Tristan Thompson, Kyrie, LeBron, or Love. Well, I think I think I, I don't know what first round picks do they have. Obviously, like a Cavs. later, yeah, a later first round pick is not going to be that great, and especially no. for the Celtics who have so many picks. But I think that's all they have to offer, really, because there's not any. They don't have yeah. any young pieces who you would really. 
he really that's the thing is like when you when you kind of go all in for a year uh-huh. as Cleveland did in a lot of ways last year, and it obviously it paid off. Like you know nobody's debating that, uh, but it does set you up for some interesting situations like this, um, you know, kind of in the future. But we'll see. You know, I think. I don't think they're trading Kevin Love at any point. Ooh, here we go. Would, here but, we go. But if it gets to the point that they ever need to make a move, he's kind of their only real like legitimate trade chip that you could you could in some you know realm see them parting with. So we'll see. I don't I don't want to get into that speculation. No. Um, all right, let's get into predictions. We'll get we'll go right away. My first one: Anthony Davis takes back his crown as the best big man in the league. Oh, you want me to comment? Yeah, I don't. I don't Just think comment. that. I don't think that's going to happen. You know why? Because he hasn't put himself on the court long enough for the duration of his season. He hasn't been able to put a team on his back and contend for an eight or nine spot, seven, eight, nine spot. I'm not even talking about. I don't just, care about the playoffs. Oh come on! This t- okay? Who looks at this at this roster and is going to fault Anthony Davis if they don't make the playoffs in the West? He's been in the league four years. I mean, a couple of years before that, that, I mean, they've had more composed rosters. You take so Davis I, off this roster, this is a Nets type of roster. They already are a Nets type of team with him on it. He doesn't. Right. He doesn't. I mean, he doesn't really do anything in terms of helping you in games. I mean, how many different players what? could you put on this team and say, you know what, this guy is actually going to help eke out some wins? I think you can grab a handful of players. Somebody like a Damian Lillard. If we if we put Damian Lillard on the Pelicans and took Anthony Davis off, I think Damian Lillard would help will that team to more wins than and a version what? of Anthony David would, Davis would this season. No. No way. No, no, no. If I we're mean, talking about winning games, Nick, it's completely different than stuffing the stat sheet. Yeah, sure. But I, I mean, I think just by virtue of stuffing the stat sheet, Anthony Davis helps you. I mean, he's such a good defender. I don't I don't I don't see it. I don't know. I mean, Lillard, I'm not arguing against him. I think this team is bad no matter what. I mean, with the exception of basically what LeBron, Durant, Curry, whoever else, Westbrook, I don't know. I don't know that this team is even close to the playoffs. And, and maybe that means that Davis isn't in that tier. But for me, he's still the best all-around big man in the league. Uh, he's better than Carl Towns. I, I think he, I think Towns, just basically stole all of all of Davis's thunder somehow last year with, with with the Pelicans being as bad as they were. And no, it's not somehow. It's because he only played sixty-one games. I mean, that's that's enough for me. I, obviously, you want him to play more, but that doesn't mean you know. Are you knocking him because he's hurt like that? To me, that doesn't factor in. When he's on the court, he he is the best big man in the NBA. Okay. I just I, I don't know, man. I, I think I think there's a reason why the sentiment out there has turned their back against Anthony Davis. And yeah, it is the injuries. I get that, but you still have to recognize that you know when he's on the court, he's he's a top five player. He's probably a top four player. I, see, if he legitimately was a top four or five player, I think in our watchability rankings we would have had them higher. They're, the Pelicans we listed second to last, and if you're going to have the rest of the roster, though, I know, but I think other players make us want to watch the team just because of them. And I don't think Anthony Davis is that type of player where you flip on the TV and and we watch something great and something awe inspiring. Now maybe that's because opposing teams respect him so much on defense him just being on the court forces them to do other things to where Anthony Davis himself physically isn't actually you know like touching the ball or stopping somebody but he really does have a massive impact I get that but in terms of watching him in terms of watching him play in terms of you know a national audience trying to tune in just to see him play I think all that glimmer is long gone 
I think he does need to be better defensively. That's that's where he fell off a little bit last year. And, and again, obviously missing 21 games has a lot to do with that. But, you know, one fewer block per game uh, compared to 2014-15. The assist numbers went down as well. He was a little bit less efficient. But I think I think what we saw last year is like a baseline Anthony Davis season, and he still averaged 24-10 to a block or two blocks and a steal. I mean, Towns is great. Maybe he takes that leap this season, but uh, to me, it's still Davis as the best big man in the league. I like it, though. It is a bold prediction. All right. Your first one. My first bold prediction. I can't believe this is a hot take, but I think it is. Uh, Yesterday, Nick, I had the opportunity to go speak at UW at uh, Fantasy Sports Club, and it was fun. And It basically turned into a lot of like NBA questions about the season. And one of them, our recurring theme, obviously being in Wisconsin helps, um, is how high do you think a seed Minnesota will get in the playoffs. And that was the the recurring question. I was like, all right, let's let's hold on a second. I don't think Minnesota is going to make the playoffs at all. So apparently that's my hot take is I don't think Minnesota is going to make the playoffs. Here's why really quick. And then if you'd like to poke holes in my argument, feel free to do so. This team is still really young. They haven't proven they can win. Yes, they have the youngest slash sexiest ratio of, of a young core on their team. Everybody loves it. They, they love the addition of, of Don really good players but just the sole addition of Tibbs as your coach isn't going to put you over the edge now I think in the long run it certainly will help them develop and it certainly will help them get involved uh you know with the playoff race but in terms of just a quick turnaround that doesn't happen it takes a year or two for everybody to mesh these young players are still meshing with each other and now Tibbs has to come in and mesh and there's just too much going on there's too much involved I don't think Minnesota is going to make the playoffs so there's my first hot take I don't think they're making it either I think they get close I think they probably finish ninth in the Western Conference um but there's just too much talent ahead of them, too much proven talent ahead of them. I mean, which of these teams are you throwing out? Golden State, San Antonio, the Clippers are all locks to me. And then, you know, OKC, Portland, Dallas, Memphis, Houston, Utah, Denver finished ahead of Minnesota last season. I, I'm with you. I think they have the best collection of young talent, but we're still a year away from this being a, a solid playoff team. If they're in the Eastern Conference, I think they probably make it, you know, maybe not easily, but with relative ease. Um, but but this isn't a team that, that I, I look to as a playoff lock, and I think it is a hot take because a lot of people do see them that way. Um, all right, my second take. Give it to me, Nick. The Kings deal DeMarcus Cousins by the trade deadline. I like it, a and lot. I want to see it happen. Yeah, I want to see it happen. Everybody yeah. wants him to see it go someplace else, right? Yeah, I, mean, I certainly do. If I'm him, it's kind of amazing that he stuck it out as long as he has for that franchise. Um, but one year left on his deal after this season. So if you wait until next season, he's an expiring. Um, you know, at that point, it's it's basically a Kevin Love situation. Unrestricted free agent. The, right. He's got all the leverage. You know, it's you either trade me or I'm not coming back. You would think, I mean, based on what we've seen, maybe Boogie does want to stay there for whatever reason. Maybe he just wants to be the guy in Sacramento, and, you know, that's fine. Um, but if you're the Kings... And, you know, this is another year where you start out 4-15 and 15 and you're out of it by the All-Star break, as you pretty much have been for the last five years. Um, I think you got to think about it. And you know the offers are going to be there. I think this team didn't improve enough this offseason. It seemed like the last couple of years, you know, these same rumors have been around. But the Kings kind of wanted to be like, oh, we're going to make some tweaks. You know, we're going to bring in Rondo. We're going to bring in George Carl. Maybe it'll work out. It's just not going to work out. This might be the worst <laughs> roster he's had around him. Uh, thus far and you just can't see this Kings team being good whatsoever Um, 
so it, it, I think it's the time. You know, I think it's going gonna, it's gonna to be another situation where Cousins is frustrated, he's playing really well, and the rumors are going to creep up, and, and they might finally have to pull the trigger on it. Um, teams that could possibly make a deal for DeMarcus Cousins. The Celtics are the obvious one. You, know, you can put together any combination of two or three of those young guards, Smart, Bradley, Jalen Brown, whoever else. Isaiah Thomas could even go back to Sacramento, who knows. Uh, and then they obviously have the picks as well. So that's the obvious one. I don't know if the addition of Al Horford means that, you know, they kind of got their big man and they're out on Cousins. I don't think so. I mean, you can you can afford both of them. You, you know, gives you a little bit of, a little bit less flexibility in the long term. And if you're Boston, you presumably want to keep Demarcus Cousins past 2017-18. But you know, I think in this situation, um, you know, theoretically he goes to Boston. The Celtics are probably a top three team around the trade deadline. They see this as their you know their move to get past Cleveland. Uh, other teams, the Heat. I think would want DeMarcus Cousins. I do wonder, though, you know, if they have enough. It would basically be you have to leverage some future picks. You probably have to give up Winslow. You probably have to give up Drogic. Uh, maybe you have to throw Josh Richardson in there. Um, but the thing for Sacramento is Cousins gets less and less valuable as far as what you can demand back for him as, you know, as that contract deadline creeps up. So in some ways, you know, they have the incentive to get rid of him earlier. Um, the Nuggets are another team kind of similar to Boston where – they don't have you know one prized asset, but they have you know six or seven like pretty good assets. Fareed is a guy I think that's kind of getting. It feels like he's getting squeezed out there a little bit, but yeah, seem, also a player that every team wants. You know, maybe you don't want him as your starting power forward, but any team would want him for twenty minutes a night, Sacramento included. Will Barton I think is very tradable with Wilson Chandler, Gallinari back. Uh, he's on a really great contract, so Denver doesn't have a, a ton of reason to trade him. Um, and then maybe you throw Gary Harris and a pick in there because you just drafted Jamal Murray. You know, long term, I don't know how you can necessarily do Murray, Moutier, Harris, Gallinari, Chandler all together. So those are my teams that I see as potential options. And if you're Sacramento, you want to get you want to get up in this coming draft. I mean, there, this draft has probably nine or ten guys that would have been in consideration as top three picks last year. Yeah, gosh, I hope they trade for actual like physical human beings instead of draft picks because it's going to be amazing if they do do somehow like factor out a massive deal with Boston and get a bunch of picks in return and then it'll be fun to watch them just spoil all of those picks I don't, they, they just have to there's too many good though. picks I mean, this for draft, them to, this draft is stacked I mean you have you if you just look at you know the prospect rankings or any mock draft like you can Ivan Rapp you know a guy he's, he's projected to go somewhere between like eight and twelve like he could have gone four last year's draft and no one would have blinked an eye at that I mean you got you got guys that you can get in the four to eight range that are Jalen Brown caliber or better prospects, probably better. Yeah. All right. That's good to know. I mean, I'll, I'll leave the prospect talk for you and James, but I don't doubt it. Um, just because last year wasn't, yeah, I, no, no, this is, I mean, last year was a, I wouldn't say historically bad draft because we'll see how it turns out. And you had two really good prospects at the top, but I don't know if there's necessarily a Ben Simmons all around, you know, gem type of prospect in here. But I mean, there are some serious, serious names. I mean, you got two point guards who are probably close to John Wall type of caliber and, and Dennis Smith and Markel Fultz. You got Harry Giles, who, if he's healthy, is probably the candidate to be that Ben Simmons type of player in this class. And then just some freak athlete, you know, type of wings that, that any team would like to have. So it should be a really fun draft. The Kings owe their first round pick in this coming draft to Chicago if it falls outside of the top 10. So if the Kings do have a surprise year, uh, they lose that pick. Basically, if their pick you know isn't in the top ten, so there's not really a lot of incentive to win 
for them this season or a lot of incentive, you know, to fall just short of the playoffs, which, you know, to me is maybe a little bit of the, the extra push you might need to, to deal to Marcus Cousins. Yeah, I like it. I think it's, I mean, it's not even the fact that they have such a bad and poor history. It's the fact that it's a really good player on an expiring deal. And that's just kind of what happens, you know, mm-hmm. it, assuming that they're not going to come back and they're not having, they haven't had a good time. And that's certainly the case with cousins. So I love your bold prediction. I hope it happens. The other thing here with the draft is that the Kings can't get the number one pick. Like, I don't know how, how do you keep getting yourself in these situations? It seems like every year they're like, they're getting screwed around the draft time. So they, <laughs> Like I said, they owe their first round of Chicago if it falls outside of the top 10. That seems unlikely. This is a bottom 10 team. Um, and Philadelphia has the right to swap picks with Sacramento, although that is 11 through 30 protected. Why is it that protection? I don't know. Um, so basically, if the pick is inside the top 10, Philly has the right to swap. So the Kings could be the worst team in the league, get the number one pick, and then Philadelphia could swap with them. Wow. They, they cannot get the number one pick in this Yeah, game. it's not going to happen. Um, all right, what's your second one? All right, second one here is, I, I fiddled around with the exact wording of this, but this is what I settled on. Markeith Morris, who plays power forward for your Washington Wizards. Not my Washington Wizards. Just the nation's Washington Wizards, is going to be really, really good this season. Now, back in Phoenix, I thought he was actually really good to begin with, and having his brother, I'm kind of thinking actually maybe hurt his game a little bit. Um, I think it's good that he's not with his brother anymore. I think it's good that he got half of a season with Washington. I think he'll be a little more comfortable. This guy really does help you out in every single statistical category. Last year, he's averaging half a block. He's averaging almost a full three-pointer rebounds. Two years ago, six rebounds almost two and a half assists two years ago. I think he could be averaging around the 18 points per game range with somebody like John Wall, who is more than willing to dish the ball out. Um, I'm not so certain that somebody like Otto Porter is going to step in and take a lot of shots from somebody like Markeith Morris. Same with Marcin Gortat. Obviously, Bradley Beal can step in there, but I actually really like their starting five, and I think Morris is going to excel because he's able to put that bad history with Phoenix in his past. He's played away from his brother. He's lived away from his brother. And I think this will be a good coming out party for him. Will he make the All-Star game? No, I don't think so. Maybe if, you know, the All-Star game was in between games 78 and 79, I might say that because I think he is going to be pretty good. I think he could be the fifth best power forward in the East this year. Um, So that's saying a little, maybe a lot, depending on how you look at it. Yeah, that, I think that is saying a lot more than a little. Uh, I, I do. I'm with you. I think Markeith Morris is going to be really good statistically. I think this is going to be a pretty bad Wizards team, and I think there are going to be a lot of empty numbers to be had for him. Uh, but they're going to need it. I mean, they they got shallower in the front court. I think this off season, and they're depending so so heavily on on Wall and Beal for playmaking. That I, I think the opportunity is definitely going to be there for him to emerge as that third option. Uh, they seem a little bit unsettled at, at small forward too. I think Kelly Oubre is kind of creeping in on that on that job for Otto Porter. Porter obviously the better all around player, but they might need Oubre's playmaking uh, a little bit more. So no, I'm with you. I, I don't think that's that's an overly hot take, but I think with as much as people soured on Markeith Morris, especially right around the trade last season. Uh, it would be a surprise to to a lot of people if he does have a productive year. All right, give me your third bold prediction, Nick. Dwight Howard has a borderline All Star season. I stopped just short of saying he makes the All Star team, um, but he's gonna be he's gonna be close. 
I like it. Yeah, that's fine. I think he'll be rejuvenated. He's already had some good preseason outings. Um, you know, the the dynamic with Houston just didn't really work all that well from him. Obviously, he was a little disgruntled. In fact, he's been disgruntled at all three of his destinations in the NBA. I'm hoping he's learned from that. I'm hoping that uh, really Atlanta has learned from his past history and they figure out a good way to handle him. I like it, Nick. And of course, most importantly, I mean, the loss of Al Horford, there, you know, there's going to be a hole to fill there. It's not trying to fit Dwight Howard into a system uh, like upgrading your center from last year. Um, it's going to be, you know, he's trying to fill a hole that. I mean, uh, he could easily get to like 16, 12, and two blocks. Like that would that would count as like a post prime Dwight season that's pretty conceivable for. I mean, he averaged 12 rebounds a game last year, and it, it seemed like, you know, everybody was making him out like he's this, you know, horrific center who's ruining the Rockets. Like he's going to be in a situation where he's wanted, he's going to be in a situation where. You know, they're not necessarily going to dump him down the ball constantly, but they're going to give it to him a hell of a lot more than Houston did last year. And by all accounts, he's you know working to improve as an all-around player. I, I don't know how much I love him trying to become like a stretch five, you know, stepping out into the mid-range. And that just doesn't seem like it's going to work out. But I think just by virtue of being Dwight Howard and being on the court for 30-plus minutes a night, he's virtually a lock to get to 15 and 11. And in the Eastern Conference, where there's not a lot of great centers or a lot of great big men, if, if Markeith Morris can can be a top five power forward, um, you know, making making the All Star roster to me, it would be an accomplishment, but it doesn't seem like it would be this just crazy, inconceivable thing. Yeah, no, not at all. I, I like him a lot, quite a bit. Our bold predictions—they're not that bold. They're not that bold. It's tough. I got a I got a better bold prediction. Okay. What's your third? Uh, Curry or Durant, yeah, I'm talking about Steph Curry and Kevin Durant, won't return to Golden State next season. One of those two. This coming, uh, here, okay, let's get bold. We haven't been bold, bold so this let's get bold. bold. Um, so this coming after a rocky season where egos are challenged, not enough touches to go around, and even a three-game losing streak where tensions reach their peak between the big four. Now, Nick, at the beginning of this podcast, I asked you to hold that thought, and you said it seemed like everything was working on all cylinders everybody was kind of fulfilled in the categories they need to be fulfilled i don't think that's going to happen at all points over the course of the season i think egos are going to flare up a little bit i think draymond green is going to be somewhat expendable in this offense maybe more so than he was last year and of course if anybody's ego is going to flare up draymond green is probably the last one you want to have that happen to so i think these guys while it, it, we want to say and we're going to you know like project that it's going to be all happy it's going to be rainbows and unicorns I don't think that's going to happen because when these guys look at their season stats, I think they're going to say, you know, what's going on? And I think that these guys could get along on the court, but here's where I think things are going to go awry. It's their camps. It's their family. It's their friends saying, hey, man, you really aren't getting as many shots as you should. Or, hey, man, you aren't handling it as much as you should. And I think that's where things could go awry. I think... I don't know. I Who's think camp? I think Durant's camp is maybe the one you worry about there. I mean, what what about Clay what about the people that? Yeah, yeah. Clay Thompson's dad, maybe. I don't. Yeah. <laughs> but the thing is, winning's going to cure all with this team, and they're going to win enough that yeah, I, I'm with you. I really, th- I think there is going to be some rough stretches. Like you, you're not going to go an 82 game season where everything goes perfectly well for you, and there's never any tension, especially with the, it's the kind of personality that Durant seems to have. You know, that some I wouldn't say passive aggressive, but no, you that's a good. Kinda, you could kind of see him, like you know, saying if you, like they if they have just a you know they just get skunked one night. Nobody shoots well. Durant only takes seven shots or you know something like that. But Clay goes one of ten, and you could kind of see him like you know taking a little bit of a, a veiled shot 
uh, and you know how that goes over with the team, we'll see. But I think if they're winning enough, I mean, if they go on some sort of catastrophic losing streak, which is almost just inconceivable at this point, then you know maybe this comes into play. But I mean, if they basically if they don't win the title, that's the only scenario in which this can happen, right? I don't know. I, I think that you like they're know, not going to win, and one of those guys leaves. No, I think that's possible. I think I think Durant has gotten accustomed to a certain type of uh, opportunities on the court, and I think at times that even flared up with Russ. And so now you're telling me you're going to add two other players into that type of mix, or three legitimate players who could take touches from him, late game touches. All these guys are going to think that they should have the ball when it really matters at the end of games. I just think that there are too many egos to stroke here, and I think at some point somebody's going to realize, oh hey, I can go to about 25 other teams in the league and get as many touches as I want. Everybody listens to what I say. I'm on 100% of the billboards across the city. I get all the media exposure, and I think not having that for a couple of these guys might wear down on them by the end of the season. I mean, I think by virtue of being on this Warriors team, you get all those things. Like even if you're even if you're Clay Thompson and you're the, you know, I guess the fourth option in this offense, you could be anywhere from 1 to 4, I guess any night, but this team is going to get more publicity than any team in NBA history. Like, I think being on the Warriors is better than being the number one guy in Charlotte or being the number one guy for the Kings. You know, like people more more fans know who Clay Thompson is probably globally than Demarcus Cousins because he plays with Steph Curry and because he's on the Warriors. Like that comes with the that comes with the territory here. I mean, the only guy you could kind of see you know wanting his own team at some point is maybe Clay to me. But he's locked up for two more years. Like he can't, unless they trade him, he can't go anywhere until 2019. And Durant and Curry are the only two that aren't locked up long term right now. And if if it goes haywire, then this comes into play. But this this is a hot take. I'll give Good. you that. This is hotter than than anything I've thrown out. Um, my fourth, Dwayne Wade misses the All Star game for the first time since his rookie season. And I know that's also not all that scalding hot. But when you consider he's been an All Star every year since 2003. Um, you know, it would it would be a little bit of a shakeup to not see him there. He's he's only getting in on the fan vote. He's that's the only way he's really gotten in the last two or three years. Uh, and I think he's splitting that fan vote with Butler. And Bulls fans probably still lean towards Butler because he's the better player and he's going to have the better season. Yeah, hometown boy, though, he said he's going to come out and wants to be announced. Instead of from Marquette University, I want to be from Chicago, Illinois. That's going to be big, man. I mean, it's 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 a homecoming for him. He's been away for so That's long. That's going to wear but... off when the Bulls are like... And, they're like 10 and 27 at the all-star break yeah i mean i guess you got to look at the other shooting guards and the guards around the league and and say you know can he still get on, on name power alone and i think in the east he can so i think this is a, maybe your hottest take of them all because which it's, is not saying a lot um but but i mean i don't know it's it wouldn't be inconceivable for him to get in i just think you know jimmy butler cannot be voted to start like kyle lowry and john wall can be the starting backcourt and butler would still get in as a reserve like Wade won't get in the coaches aren't picking Wade over butler Right. I mean, Lowry, DeRozan, both those guys could get Kyrie. in, and Wade could Kyrie still get in. Kyrie, to me, is a lock. I mean, he, he played only, what, 10, 15 games before the All-Star break mm-hmm. last year. Like, if he's healthy, he's back. That's a spot that you just kind of have to throw out. I think Wade is getting in. So, yes, I, I'll say that's your hottest take so far. Um, okay. My next hottest take, Houston will be the four seed this season. So I, I, sure. I, 
<laughs> so I, I've got uh, the obvious top three in the West, and then I've got Houston. Some people think that Houston is somewhat expendable. You can toss in the Timberwolves in there and throw out Houston. Houston's going to have a high-powered offense. Obviously, their defense is going to be probably pretty bad, but I think they're going to be able to score so many points every single night. I mean, let's not forget exactly 365 days ago, a lot of very big media members, a lot of uh, well-credentialed media members were picking Houston to win the championship. We're only one year removed from that, and I think they've actually gotten better by the loss of Dwight Howard and the addition of Ryan Anderson. I mean, they're going to be playing more so of the game that they have been playing two and three years ago where they are just destroying you from beyond the arc. Yeah, I mean, two years ago, this was a team that finished second in the West. You know, Harden voted the MVP by the players. Which, did they do those awards this year, by the way? Was that just a one-time thing? I think I that like was I just never, a one-time thing because they were that upset that Harden didn't win it. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I didn't hear anything about that this off season. But um, yeah, I, I think last year they kind of Harden himself got exposed as a guy who can't just drag you to fifty-five or sixty wins by himself. You know, I, I think he's statistically he was that player, but you know, I just think he it was shown that he's not quite the all-around guy who just you can just lock in as a top four seed. So you know, we kind of saw one extreme in twenty fourteen fifteen, the other extreme last year, and. Things seem to go about as bad as possible for Houston, and they still made the playoffs in a tough Western Conference. Um, I think the four seed is as high as they can get. Uh, they can get there only if they stay extremely healthy, though. That's the thing. And Harden's been able to do that pretty remarkably well. I think he's only missed one game the last two years, considering how, how high a usage he has and you know, where the minutes have been leading the league last year. But if they have an injury just about anywhere this team could tank quick. I mean, they, their backup center, as we've said over and over, is Nene. So you know, if anything happens to Capella, you're in big trouble there. If anything happens to Ryan Anderson, all of a sudden Montrez Harrell's playing big minutes for you and you're depending a ton on you know, K.J. McDaniels and Sam Decker. And you know, the top six or seven guys for Houston I think are pretty good. But once you get beyond that, I have some questions. Yeah, no, that's fair. But I'm going to put some faith in those six or seven guys and say they stay healthy, do some big things this year. Love Eric Gordon potentially off the bench. Uh, I like it a lot. I like Houston, um, and I've got money down um, in the office because that tends to be a bolder prediction right. that some people are willing to handle. Finish it off strong, Nick. Willing to handle. Um, Golden State becomes the first team to score 90 points and a half since 1990. Okay. Actually, I should say, 1991, a team scored 90 or scored 90 in the second half. Um, we gotta go. We gotta go over the definition of bold for you. What are you talking about? This hasn't happened in like 25 years. Yeah, but this is like like if you said Houston would do this, and that's a bold hot take. But somebody like Golden State, like I think that like that's probably going to happen. I, they only got to 80 once last year. I, I, don't, I think this is fairly bold. I mean, it's for something okay. that hasn't happened in 26 years. They got to 81 in the first half against Portland last year. Uh, they got to 70 a bunch of times. There were 39 70-point first halves around the NBA last season. Golden State accounted for 14 of those. Wow. So what is that, 40-some percent? Uh, the next highest was the Celtics with four. That's crazy that the Celtics yeah. did that. Yeah, I wouldn't have necessarily guessed them. Um, but yeah, I think I think Golden State, I mean, what, what would you set the over-under at? If they got to, and this is first half alone, second half, they had five 70-point second halves, but teams generally do this, you know, this, it skews uh, you know, drastically towards scoring 70-plus in the first half relative to the second just because of fatigue and whatnot. Uh, and in a lot of these games, if you're scoring 70 in the first half, you're probably up by a bunch and not pouring it on in the second half. Uh, but what would you set the over-under at? For how many how many first halves they've scored at least 70 20 20 that seems fair yeah. i would take the over on that 
Right. Yeah. So I, th- I think that's fair because they had 14 last year. They already yeah. showed they, they could kind of do it in the preseason if you want to look at that. I mean, all it takes is like one of those five, one of those four guys to catch fire for a quarter. Yeah. And I mean, basically, you're in a good position to do it. Yeah. I think teams can get defeated real quick against this Warriors team. Yeah. This I think year. that's what we saw last night was you know, the yeah. Clippers basically lost that game in the first like four minutes. And yeah, I don't know. You, I wouldn't question their effort necessarily, but. You know, the 50-point spread at the half of that game was part Golden State hitting everything, part L.A. just kind of tossing in the towel, I think, probably midway through that that first half. Um, do you have any last-second takes that you want to throw out off the top of your head, anything that surfaced? throughout the podcast man i'm going to be dishing out hot takes all season be sure to tune in itunes stitcher on rotowire directly audio boom audio boom i mean boom. audio boom 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 hot take audio boom will change to audio doom um yeah i i, I mean they're going to be out all season nick I, i'm i've okay, always so, been partial so the answer, to the hot so takes to the question no you have no more takes yes no okay um i do have yeah. trivia for you but do oh, you have right. do you have hot takes no no, I'm 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 disappointed in myself that I couldn't come up with hotter takes. Um, well, maybe we'll revisit this in a few weeks, and we'll have to set a baseline for yeah. You know, I'll, I'll like run it by some guys in the office, and they'll have to tell if if it's hot enough or not. Yeah, the the Let's mics never got lit on fire, which no, is unfortunate. Usually, but usually I mean, we have a fire extinguisher sitting for this right exact we've, reason. We've only I had know. to use it a few times. Right. Um, all right, let's get into trivia, wrap this thing up. Nick, which of these players did not win a Player of the Week award last season? Dwayne Wade, J.J. Barea, Kevin Love, or Brooke Lopez? Hmm. I'm going to say Kevin Love. Correct. Okay. Do you know how many... Uh, Player of the Week awards, each of those guys won. Wade, Love, and Lopez? One each. One each. Or Berea, I should say. Yeah, one each. Um, Next question. Which of these players was not named to the all-defensive first team last season? Avery Bradley, Chris Paul, Hassan Whiteside, DeAndre Jordan, or Draymond Green? Hassan Whiteside. Yeah, second team, all defensive. So still pretty good, Hassan. Uh, Rank these players by how many Rookie of the Month awards they won last season. Miles Turner of the Pacers, Emmanuel Moutier of the Nuggets, Carl Anthony Towns of the Timberwolves, and Kristaps Porzingis of the – where does he play for again? The Knicks, that's right. Uh, Towns – did Towns win them all? Towns did not win them all. close. Uh, Towns, Porzingis, Turner, Moutier? You got it. You nailed it. So Big Cat won six of those monthly awards. Porzingis won three. Turner won one. And the Moutier did not win any at all. Despite- oh, they do, they do conference. That's right. Okay. Right. So say, like, how long is the season? Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. So that'll wrap it up. Uh, well, James and I will be back on Thursday. They're going to kill the love of my life. Daisy! If I don't go back to what I was doing. This Friday. Our line of work is quite brutal and quite ruthless. How far would you go for love? You steal truck, bring it to me. Then you make your money. Is it dangerous? Of course it's dangerous! Nicholas Holt, Felicity Jones, with Ben Kingsley and Anthony Hopkins. All this trouble, all this pain for love. Collide in theaters Friday. Rated PG-13. Maybe inappropriate for children under 13. The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. 
Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com.